Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We've been in a series of messages that we have called How To. We have been walking through the pastoral epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus. And as we've gone through there, we've looked at some interesting topics. How to know what to do when you don't know what to do. And how to not be afraid. We talked about how to disagree. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris talked to us about how to get unstuck We talked about how to prepare for the last days, and we've also looked at the concept last week of how to get past your past. We've got two more weeks in this series after today, but I've been personally wrestling with some things. And so the things we're going to look at today are kind of a part of a, a journey for me that's a little bit more personal. You know, I have some things in my life that I would call go to things. Like if if I've got a cook in some way or another, my go to is to go out to the grill and grill something. Anybody, any other grillers? That's kind of your go-to. That's kind of my go-to thing. I have some wardrobe choices that are probably just my go-to choices. The other day, our family was together and we were in a store and I, and I held up a shirt and I said, what do you guys think of this? And they said, yep, that's a Chad shirt. It's like, that's, that's a go-to. It's kind of the thing for you. When I, when I need to get kind of pumped up, when, I, when I'm in a place where I need a little energy, I got a go-to song that I go to. Anybody know this one? Do you know this one? Little Eye of the Tiger. When I got to get fired up, you kind of feel it build, and you kind of, right? And it kind of just gets you in that. That's like my go-to song. So I think you have these things in your life that are like your go-to things. Lately, probably like all of us, I've just kind of been wrestling with some thoughts about the time in which we live. Many of us are in places where we have never been before. We're walking through things. We're asking questions. We're trying to figure things out. For some of us, it's, it's 2020, right? That, that's become code word for pandemic, election, finances, uh, uncertainty. We, we, just, we don't even bother with all those terms anymore. We just say, well, it's 2020. But it's not just that. I mean, I've talked to several friends recently who it's just been things that have come their way. Loss, sickness, disappointment, uncertainty that have nothing to do with 2020. It's life. And when we find ourselves in those places, how do we respond? Like I've been looking at this series that we're calling How To. And and out of my heart from the beginning of this was was how do I, as a pastor, as a shepherd, help you to navigate these, these times, this season that we're in, And the reality is, I can't answer every question for you. The truth is, I can't answer every question for myself. So how do I have a a go-to response when things come knocking on my door, when there is uncertainty, when there are questions, when you're not sure how to respond, when you're trying to figure out what's the thing that I should do, what I really need in my toolkit, what I really need in my heart and in my mind is a go-to response. If I've got a shirt, if I've got a meal, if I've got a song, maybe I should also have something that I know is my go-to response in life. And maybe it's something that if it helps me, Maybe it would help you as well. So over the last month or so, this is something that's been working out in my life and realizing that in my life over the years, I've kind of had a go-to response. 
I think I recognized it when Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He was talking to him about his life. Remember, Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. He has been going through all kinds of challenges with his culture. He's been going through challenges with false teachers. He's been leading people in the church through a difficult time. And as he's talking to them, he helps to give them some insight. And he says, Timothy, here's how I can help you. Here's, here's your go-to. He says this. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy, and watch this, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, Timothy, look, when you're in uncertain times, or Timothy, when you don't know what to do, or Timothy, when you're not sure what direction to go, or what advice to give, or how to handle a situation, when life throws you these things, he says, Timbo, here's your go-to. You've known it all along. From infancy, you've known the holy scriptures. Go back to the scriptures. He says, Timothy, I want you to see that there is real value in this because he says this, look, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do you find there? Wisdom, salvation, faith. You find Jesus there. So he says, look, go back to these scriptures. That's a pretty good place to go, right? Why? Here's what he says. Watch this. Next verse, verse 16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I'm in a place in my life, when I say, God, there's a good work I want to do, but I don't know how to be equipped for it, I go back to the scripture. He says, look, the scripture is your go-to when you're not sure how to process something, when you're not sure what to do. Look, I want to be a servant of God. Anybody else? Like, I want to be a servant of God more than anything else, more than a good husband or father or pastor, more than I want to be liked or a good citizen or successful, more than I want to be a good friend or a good neighbor. I want to be a servant of God who's equipped for every good work. And he says, Timothy, here's how you do it. Here's your go-to. It's through the word of God. It's through God-breathed scripture. So here's my encouragement to you. When you need a how-to, when you're looking at life and you say, I wish I knew how to handle this. I wish I knew how to answer this. I wish I knew how to wrestle through this. Here's my go-to how-to. Here's, here's your eye of the tiger for life, maybe. <laughs> the go-to how-to is to stay rooted in the word of God. He says, Timothy, your life has been rooted in the scriptures. If you need a go-to how-to, it's to stay rooted in the word of God, to stay connected there. What does the scripture say to us about this? For that, for this idea of how do we stay rooted in God's word, we kind of have to go back to where we were kind of pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. If you were with us during that time back in February, we, we walked through what we called the Life Change Initiative. And one of the things that we talked about were some of the core values or principles for us as a church. We, we referred to it as, as the vision tree, and we kind of looked at this concept. Jeremiah chapter 17 was a go-to scripture for us. Verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream 
It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. When we were looking at this scripture seven, eight months ago, we had no idea how important this might be for the last six months. True? I mean, you think about this. Think of what we've been through. We've seen life heat up quite a bit. And we've seen drought. (laughs) We've seen struggles that have come. But here's what I've seen from God's people. That when our roots go deep, we can still thrive and be fruitful even in difficult times. Amen? He helps us in those seasons of time. And I wish that I had seen this sooner. Like, I, I wish it wasn't just a month or so ago that some of these lights clicked on for me. See, Scripture gives us our roots. It gives us a, a core value for where we are. So if you were with us kind of back in February, we, we used this image of this tree to talk about the idea of who we were as a church and what was important and what, what was of value and what mattered to us. And in that process, we talked about four roots that were important to us, four core values, if you will, that we looked at. The first one of those, and each one of these is tied to Scripture. The first one of those is we talked about God first. The first one we talked about was God first. The idea of that comes from Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where we read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So the most important thing, and remember the context of that passage in Mark 12 is when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandments? The context of that is him saying the most important thing is that you love God. So let's just do that. Let's just, we'll we'll put God right there. He's that first root that we look at. The, The second one that we considered is that people are the priority. People are the priority. God is at the heart of who we are. He's the most important thing. But our passion, what matters to us, because it matters to God, are people. Mark 12, 30, Jesus says, love the Lord your God. And then in verse 31, he says, the second great commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So he says, here's the first two things you do in life. First, you love God. Then you love your neighbor. So if we're talking about that with these Roots, we, we would say there's God over here, and then let's just make this one others. So we have God, and we have others. The third root or principle or core value that we talked about as a church is that healthy things grow. That healthy things grow. And we talked here about the idea if that we would want to grow in our faith. This is what Paul is talking to Timothy about, that you would be rooted in scripture. In fact, the scripture that we might talk about here is one we just looked at, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, all scripture is God-breathed, and he walks through and says, it's because that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do you do that? What do you have to have? Well, to be thoroughly equipped, you need the scripture for this root over here today. Let's just call it truth. We need truth in our lives. Look, there is right now this cultural concept of truth. I was just talking with a friend who had been having some conversations where, where people were expressing that when you talk about truth, sometimes you go, well, that's, that's your truth, but I have my truth. Anybody heard that cultural expression? That's, that's your truth, or that's my truth. And the reality is, if you have a biblical worldview, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you use scripture to determine how to live your life, we recognize that there isn't your truth and my truth There's the truth. 
And that's difficult for us to talk about. I mean, if you, you think about it in the context of certain things, not everything's like that. Like, let's, let's just talk about pizza restaurants. If, if I was to do a little survey and ask you, who has the best pizza in Toledo? Like, who's your go-to pizza place? Odds are we get a whole bunch of different answers. People have different responses. The reality is you probably don't have just one. It might be dependent on what you're hungry for. You want deep dish? You want thin sliced? Do you want some kind of bougie wood-fired pizza? Like, what, what, what is it that you want? And then what do you want to put on it? Like, are you, are you just kind of a pepperoni person? Are you, are you more simple? Are you want a little bit of everything? The reality is when we're talking about pizza, where it's from and how it's prepared, you have your truth and I have mine. Can I get an amen? But here's the reality. If one of those toppings is cyanide, you lace that pizza with cyanide, it's not a matter of your truth or my truth. There's just one truth. It's lethal, right? You can't just say, well, well, you like your pizza that way, but I like mine this way. No, the reality is, the truth is, that, that will kill you. And so there is some truth. There are some things that are undeniable. And we find that, that God's word is that truth. That's how healthy things grow, which takes us to the last one, the fourth core value or fourth root that we talk about is this. We get to do this. Look, we're not victims in this thing. We've been called to serve the Lord. We are his people. He has given us this opportunity. And so when we look at obedience, what, what we call obedience, serving God, honoring him, that's not something that's frustrating. That's an adventure that we're in. We're, we get to do this. Here's what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. See, the spirit gives us what we need to live out the adventure of faith that we have. And so this maybe fourth root is we choose obedience. We choose to obey what God has called us to do, to live in the way that he's called us to live. And these are the roots for us. So remember what we talked about. The go-to how-to is to stay rooted in God's word. And we've talked here about God, others, truth, and obedience. Watch this with me real quick. We talked about God, others, truth, and obedience. Do you see what this is for me? It's my go-to. That when I'm in a place where I have to figure out how to do something, I need a go-to, how-to. So my go-to is to run it through these roots, through this foundation for my life. How do I view this in light of who God is, how he's called me to love others, what his truth says, and how I'm to be obedient to that? Does that make sense? So when I'm in a difficult spot, when I don't know what to do, what I need is a go-to. And staying rooted in God's word is my go-to, how-to. Now, maybe the best way for me to help you with this is to do two things. One, to walk through some scenarios of where this might come into play. And two, to give you some scriptures for yourself so that you're able, in a moment when you need a go-to for your how-to, you can go back to those scriptures. So let's walk through real quick six scenarios tonight, today, that we're going to look at to help us in turbulent times to have a go-to for our how-to and here's the first kind of question we'll look at. How do I respond to an ethical dilemma? Like, how do I respond to an ethical dilemma? I, I really didn't know what else to call this, but there may come some point in your life where you're challenged in what the ethical response is to something. 
Maybe it happens at work. Maybe something happens at school. Maybe it's in your family. You know, the things that we typically just come to right away. Maybe you're being asked to lie, cheat, or steal. Maybe it's a matter of gossip. Maybe it's a matter where you take credit for something that you really didn't do. Maybe it's where you make some kind of choice or you have that pressure to. Like, think about it in your world. Like, do this with me for just a moment. If you were to face an ethical dilemma, what might it look like? Like, if we were having a conversation one-on-one and I asked you, what's an ethical challenge you might face tomorrow? What would you say? Peer pressure? A desire to succeed? Wanting to please others? That would lead you to do something that ethically might not be right? When you face that ethical dilemma, you need a go-to, how-to. So where does it start? Well, you start with God, that you're to love the Lord your God, remember this, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what would God be pleased with in this dilemma, in this place where I'm at? How should I respond based on what God would have for me to do? Sometimes that's crystal clear. Sometimes it might not be. So you take one of these next steps in, in what we read in Scripture. When we go, not only do we love God, but then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. How, how do others come into this? I remember when I was a kid, my dad would quote to me the Bob Gilligan version of the golden rule. He would say, you do unto others before they can do unto you. Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> That's not what scripture says. Matthew chapter seven, verse 12 says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. When you're in an ethical dilemma, you start by saying, what would God have for me to do? And then what, what would be the right thing for me to do with others in mind? To do unto others as I would have them do unto me. And then we get to this idea of truth. Like, like what does scripture say? Well, if you're dealing with an ethical situation, you, you might go to a scripture like Proverbs 10.9. If you have to make a choice, if you have to make a decision, it's good to remember whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So if the thing that's knocking on your door, if the pressure is to lie, or if it is to cheat, or if it is to steal, or if it is to misrepresent something, you come back to this scripture and go, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths, Proverbs says, will be found out. So now that helps to put all of this into perspective as I walk my how-to through this go-to, and then when I get to this idea of obedience, look, look at what Scripture says here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. This is a powerful passage. It says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. The NIV says that we are to live such good lives. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, even if they say, hey, what you did didn't make sense, or that was dumb. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You see, it says here, we need to obey God's truth. We need to treat others as we would want to be treated. And ultimately, we need to love and honor God in what we do, even in the midst of our ethical dilemma. That is how you take your go-to and you apply it to your how-to. Does that make sense? Now, now look, here's, here's something that's interesting about God's word. God's word is a sword. 
There are times when we're fighting a battle. And the Bible says that these battles aren't against flesh and blood. They're not against other people. We fight these battles in a spiritual realm. And the Bible tells us that when we're fighting those battles, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, in, in talking about the armor of God, Paul writes, take the helmet of salvation, and he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When you read about the armor of God, the offensive weapon, the one that we use to kind of protect ourselves and move forward with, is the word of God. So God's word is a sword. We like that, right? We like that image of I have a tool, like, like I have a weapon to help me be victorious and to move forward. But can I remind you of one other thing? Not only is God's word a sword, but God's word is a scalpel as well. God's word has the ability to perform surgery in our lives. Hebrews chapter uh, 4 verse 12 says this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Would anybody here be excited to have everybody else know the thoughts and attitudes of your heart? <laughs> Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God penetrates into our soul and spirit. It's not just a sword, but it's a scalpel. Here's one of the things that I've seen in the last few months. Many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we're not used to being challenged by God's word. Like we love God's word, we live God's word, we read God's word, we embrace God's word, we, we say we let God's word speak to our hearts, but we're really, not that, we're really not that familiar with being challenged by God's word because the reality is we typically agree with God's word, so we think God's word agrees with us. So whatever our ideas or our thoughts are, we're sure that God's word says the same thing. So we don't like being challenged by scripture. We just want scripture to agree with us because we're pretty sure we agree with scripture. And then there's these times where God's word begins to challenge us, where it might challenge things in our hearts. And we need to be open that God's word is not just a sword we wield for victory, but it's also a scalpel that does surgery in our lives. We need to be open that surgery is painful. So many times it's life-saving. We must not wield the sword and forget the scalpel. We need to be open to letting God's word challenge and change us as well. So, so there's maybe the, the first ethical dilemma. Let's move through a few others real quick. Number two, here's another little dilemma you might have. What if I don't feel like I'm enough? What if I'm in a situation right now in my life where I feel like I'm just not enough? I, I'm, I'm challenged in some way. And I've had a lot of conversations with people just in the last few weeks where they've said this. They're challenged and they say, look, with regards to being a supplier, with regards to going to school or providing my kids with school, in my work, in my serving, in, in the answers that I don't have or the things I'm trying to process, I just feel like I'm not enough that I can't make this happen. And if I'm gonna run that through how to, through my go-to, here's what I'm gonna find. If I start with God and I feel like I'm not enough, then I have to think about what does God say about me? Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 
God says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you say, I don't know if I'm enough, here's the reminder, those works that you're called to do, God prepared you in advance to do them. He's created you to do them. So here's a go-to for your how-to. When you're in a place where you wonder if you're enough, remember that God created you, that you are not alone. I find that when I start to put my focus on others, it helps me to take my focus off myself, which then takes us to this point of truth and obedience let me show you something really cool from God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, especially if you're struggling with not being enough, God's word, this is a prayer that Paul prays, and maybe one you start praying for yourself. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Anybody need strength? <laughs> he says, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with, with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In those times when you think maybe I'm not enough, your go-to needs to be to find something in God's word. Here's a, here's a great example that you can pray to help to put your focus on who God says you are and what he wants to do in your life. Let me give you another scenario. Here's the third one. How do I know what is true? Like, like in a world where there's so many opinions and thoughts that come our way, how do I know what is true? Well, go back to the go-to. We, we start with this. We start with, before anything else, I love God. So if I'm looking for truth, the source of my truth has to start with him. Look, there's so many places where we can find a good source you can find that in the news you can find it on social media you can find it in the constitution you can find it in good wisdom from other people there's all these different places and you can find good sources you can find shady sources but here's the deal there's only one truth right and that truth comes from god's word so so whether you're talking about heresy or whether you're talking about opinions you need to start with god's word as truth Every Tuesday, we've been releasing a teaching online. A few weeks ago, we did one on how to find truth, how to use God's word. Two weeks ago, we did one on conspiracy theories and what the Bible says about conspiracy theories. And we talked about how does God's word line up with things and how to find truth. If you're curious, I'd encourage you to go back and to watch those on our YouTube channel. But we've got to make sure that things line up with God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tells us this, that you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and watch this, this is important, who correctly handles the word of truth. Someone who correctly handles the word of truth. I've had some very like, genuine conversations with people where they've talked to me about what they're passionate about, where they've talked to me about what's important in their lives. And, and I, I wanted to say to people, look, look, I affirm you that you are principled, that you have convictions, that you're committed to these things. But when I ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? So many times people have no, no response. They're, they're not able to respond and say, well, here's, here's what it says from Scripture. Look, I truly ask this out of curiosity, not a challenge. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if I commit to having a biblical worldview, then I'll ask the question, not what do I say, but what does the Bible say? Does that make sense? 
Like ultimately, I've got to ask the question, what does the Bible say? So, so this might take some questions. This might take some research. This might take some reading. I might have to figure this out, but I've got to get right down to what does the Bible say? Because the Bible says so much. I heard a story recently about a, a pastor who was new to this kind of country church. He'd not been there very long. And he thought, you know what I really need to do is I need to go out and I need to meet the people in the church. And so he decided to just kind of go through the list in the church and just stop by their homes and say hello. And he got to one house and the car was in the driveway. The lights were on. The TV was on. He could, he could hear noise inside. So he knew someone was home and he knocked and he knocked. He rang the doorbell. He kind of waited, knocked again. Nobody ever came. And so he just took out a business card, and on the back of it, he wrote Revelation 3.20. That scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> Slipped it in the door and left. On Sunday, that card ended up in the offering. Do you remember, do you remember when we used to pass things from one person to another? <laughs> remember that? That card ended up back in the offering, and someone had written on the back of that card, Genesis 3.10. The pastor wondered what that was all about, so he opened his Bible, and when he looked at Genesis 3.10, it read, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> That's what the Bible says, but can I tell you both of those verses? It's not what the Bible means. <laughs> this is the question we have to ask, not just what does the Bible say, but what does the Bible really say? Like, am I taking those words to fit my story? Am I taking those words to fit what I want it to say? Or is that what scripture really said? Like, is that what the author intended for that verse to be about when it was written thousands of years ago? When God gave that word, were those verses intended to communicate what you're saying they're communicating now? This is why Paul says to Timothy, you have to correctly handle the word of truth. So the Bible helps us, and we, we can walk through go-to on that. Let me take you to a fourth one. What should my response be to tough cultural issues? Like, what should my response be to tough cultural issues? So, so let's make this a place of grace for a couple of minutes. Let, let's talk about maybe a hot one. What's the Bible say about wearing masks? What's it say? Like, how do we live this out? Because let's, let's just be honest. I had to process this because we have to make decisions. What am I going to do in my life? What are we going to do in the church? Like, how do we respond to this really weird cultural season? And look, as we talk about this, I don't view this as a win or lose. I view it as at some point, I got to process what's going on with tough cultural issues through my go-to. When I say how to respond, I need a go-to for my how-to. Now, look, this might not be everybody's answer, but I hope you'll understand. I think it's good for us to talk about why, why this might be mine, right, and why this might be ours as a church. If we're going to process this, when we're asking the question, okay, what do we do about this? When we start with, with God first, when we start with God and the go-to, we just say, God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, I want to make sure that that's at the core of who I am that I set my own agenda aside, that I set my own idea aside, and God, I start by loving you. And then when we come to others, what's, what's that second commandment that he says? He says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you, were, if you were here for any of the services where we were out under the tent, you notice that our staff and that our volunteers all wore a mask. Why did we do that? Because we have a lot of people who come from a lot of different places. Some people are getting sick. Some people are more vulnerable. 
Some people have loved ones they're concerned about. Some people would, would have people that they're taking care of. And we decided we would rather err on the side of, of safety and caution and show love towards our neighbor and live out that promise. Which then takes us to this next spot about truth. Because one of the big questions in all this is what do you do, not, not just if you choose to do that to love your neighbor, that's fine, or you, you can interpret that, whatever, but what do you do when somebody says, hey, you have to do this? Like, is the government overreaching? Like, when somebody says you don't have a choice and they use words like mandate and guidelines and this is what is going to be enforced, when you have those kinds of things, how do you respond in that? What's the biblical response? Well, if you just look at the pastoral epistles, Titus chapter 3, where we've been, here's what Paul says to Titus. And this is just before what we looked at last week, that before and after we looked at last week. Paul says to Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Remember when I was talking a little bit earlier about sometimes I don't like it when Scripture challenges me? This was one of those passages that I had to think and sit and consider what, what God was saying through this passage. And look, there's so many different things that we say. And some people have said, hey, look, do you, do you have a fear of the government? Is that why you wear that mask? When I, when I read that, it actually wasn't a fear of the government. It was more of a fear of God and what God's Word asks for us to do. Now, look, you can say, well, what about government overreach? And what about that's not right? And what about what about? And actually, on Tuesday night this week, on the stream we're going to do this week, we're going to talk about some more of these tough issues. And one of the things we're going to talk about is what's the biblical concept of civil disobedience in the Christian? Like, what do we see Scripture say about those topics as we're living out these days in this time? But as we looked at not just this passage in Titus, but in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2 and, and, and this one in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus says, there's things I don't have to do, but in order not to offend, there's some things that I will do. When we look at those passages, we said in this season of time, and we'll talk about the other side of this on Tuesday night, but in this season of time, these are the steps we're going to take, and here's the reason why. When it comes down to the O in obedience, right? So I want to love God, I want to love others, I want to live the truth, and I want to obey. I've kind of leaned towards the passage in Ephesians chapter 3 that talks about what the role of the church is. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, what's the role of the church? The role of the church is to help people see what Jesus did for us. And so as a church... There's things that, that I don't want to get hung up on. I want to point people to Jesus and to the gospel that at some point I have to say for me, my focus is on God's kingdom, not on my own, which then leads us to this next how-to that we really don't have time to dig in tonight. Number five, how should I vote? Anybody asking that question? You sure are going to be bombarded with thoughts about it over the course of the next few weeks. Like, how should I vote? Can I encourage you, and we'll talk about this more as we get into the next few weeks, but that you run that how-to question through your go-to. Like, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love others? What does God's truth say about issues and platforms and candidates? And we'll talk about some of the, the, the tools that we might use from Scripture to help us through this season so that we can respond in a biblical way. But can I bring you to the sixth one, the last one that we'll look at tonight. Number six, how do I believe, how do I live 
in the in-between times? How do I live in the in-between times? What's, what's an in-between time? It seems like there's times in our lives where we're stuck in between, where we're not where we were and we're not where we want to be. We're just kind of stuck in this place. And you wonder, how long is this going to go on? And how long am I going to be stuck here? And when do I get out of this in-between spot from where I was to where I want to be? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever felt like that's been the last six months? That you find yourself in this in-between time. Psalm 52 is a psalm that David wrote. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, and depending on what version of the Bible you have, in the NIV, it'll give you some little section headings. And at the beginning of Psalm 52, it gives an instruction as to when this was written. It says it was written when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. So this is, this is what you read there. When Doeg the Edomite, and I read that, and I was like, who's that? had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. And Ahimelech, who's that? You know, so you have to go back, you have to go back to 1 Samuel 22. And when you get to 1 Samuel 22, you read that Ahimelech was a priest and Saul was the king. David had been anointed to be the next king, but Saul was still the king. And David was threatened, or Saul was threatened by David, so David was running for his life. Are you familiar with this story? Like David's running for his life. Saul doesn't know where he is. So this guy, Doeg the Edomite, sees David with Ahimelech, who's the priest, and says to Saul, hey, Saul, I know where David is. In fact, when you read 1 Samuel 22, David says, I knew he would tell him. I wish I knew what David actually called him. I knew that would tell him. When we get to that spot, you find that what happens next is Saul can't find David but he kills a whole lot of priests in the process. And now David's in this in-between place. Like he's, he's not safe as a shepherd boy or in the king's house anymore, and he's not the king yet. He's not where he was. He's certainly not where he wants to be. And he finds himself stuck in this in-between place. And so he says this, Psalm 52, verse eight. He says, but I am like an olive tree Get that picture here. He says, I'm I'm rooted. I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. And I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Can I tell you, I've been processing this sermon for a few weeks. This passage of scripture was nowhere on my radar until I read it this week. Because I'm so thankful that when I know that when I spend time in God's word, he's gonna speak right to my life what I need. Anybody else found that to be true? Like that's why it's so important to stay rooted in God's word. Because just like you, I felt like I'm in this in-between time. What do I do? Like, like, how do I flourish? David says he's flourishing. Are you kidding me? He says the reason he's flourishing like an olive tree is because he's rooted in who God is. He says like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. He was anywhere but the house of God. Like he's not in the house of God of Jerusalem. He's on the run from an evil king. And he's got this guy Doeg who's narking on him all along the way. 
And in this process, David says, even though I'm not where I was and I'm not where I want to be, he says, look, I trust in God's unfailing love forever for what you have done. I will always praise you in the presence of faithful people. Look, if you're in an in-between time right now, you praise God for his faithfulness in the past. Like if you're in that time, you, you praise him for his faithfulness in the past. You remember what he's done. And then he says that he will hope in God. What you do if you're in that in-between time is you hope in God's goodness in the future. Like you know he was faithful in the past and you know he'll be good in the future. What does David tell us to do? That we trust God in the in-between times. That we trust God in those in-between times. That we say, God, I, I don't understand it, God. God, I don't know it all. God, I don't know how all this fits. But God, I know I can put my trust and my confidence in you. God, I know that my hope is in you. So I'll choose to praise you. God, I know that my hope is in you. So in the midst of this in-between time, I will look to you. I know I can't do it on my own. I know that by myself, I'll never make this happen. But God, I put my trust and my confidence in you. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I'm going to be. But in the in-between times, that's when I'll look to you. And where this happens in our lives is when we're willing to stay rooted in God's word, God can speak this to our hearts. Now, I don't know if any of these scenarios we've looked at tonight have, have been something that captured you. I don't know if these case studies we looked at today were something that, that ministered to you or spoke to your heart. But I know from God's word that there will come a time when you will need a go-to. And your go-to for your how-to is to stay rooted in God's word. And so tonight, we, we've sang it before, but we're going to sing it again. We're going to sing a song about God's promises and how he's so faithful to us and how we can trust in him in the midst of every season, every moment in our lives. And so whether you're in this room or whether you're watching this on a screen somewhere or whether you're listening to this, would you just take a moment? If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, would you do that? If you, if you can just kind of quiet your heart for a minute. But would you just make a commitment to say, God, I want to be rooted in your word. God, I want your word to be my go-to when I face that how-to. Lord, I want to trust in your faithfulness. I want to trust in your goodness. I want to put my faith in Jesus. That's where my life is anchored. And in this moment, Father, I say I put my confidence in you. I put my trust in you. As we sing this song, God, we do more than sing it. We make it our prayer. Lord, we make this a statement, an affirmation of our trust in you. Even in these in-between times, we look to you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Come on, sing it with us, church. I put, I put my faith in you. My anchors to the My hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me. Come on. And I put my faith. My anchors to the ground and my hope and firm foundation he'll never and I put my faith in Jesus my anchor to the ground and my hope and firm foundation he'll never let me and I put my faith in 
Father, I pray for the one who in this season just knows that that feeling like David did, not being where you were, not being where you want to be, but in this in-between time, Lord, as they praise you, as they put their hope in you, would you stir up a trust in them to know that you're right there with them, that in the midst of, of whatever it is that they're navigating through in their home, in their family, in their health, in their finances, in their relationships, in their spirit, in their mind, God, whatever that is, would you remind them that you can be the one that we put our hope in, our trust in, that you anchor our lives as we look to you. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you for your special favor and your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 